There's so many different aspects that people don't think about when you're an artist. It's like 20 jobs. The biggest misconception out there is, oh, you're just, you know, poking your fingers in paint and playing around. Oh, and, you know, when you hear someone say, oh, you're an artist. Oh, you must have so much fun. I do have fun, but it's a hard job. It's physical. I have like injuries and pain and, and stuff just from the stuff that I do. This is Professional Confessionals. Carla Goldberg is a mixed media artist, gallery director, and curator. Nothing for me beats the actual being an artist, mm. the practice of it, um, the satisfaction of it. So thankfully... Everything seems to be outweighing, you know, the selling, the quality of shows is taking more and more time for my own art practice. So it, it was an easy decision to stop directing, mm -hmm. just sort of lighten the load on that side. You know, people used to ask me, how is it you're doing it all? Because I was spinning a lot of hats and or spinning a lot of plates, wearing a lot of hats. How? And I just used to say, I just do it. Like, it's not a big deal. You just do it. And I did for years and years and years. But there came a point where I was maybe not doing everything exactly to the level that I would want to because it was getting to be too much. So it was a very happy decision to just say, I'm going to concentrate on my stuff. And I haven't looked back. Take us back to your high school years. What kind of student were you? What were your interests? And give us a picture of who you were then. Good, decent student. I had decent grades. Some, some were really good, except for Spanish, unfortunately. Oh, and math. Not, not so hot on those. Up until that point, I'd never failed anything before. So to find myself with low C's and, oh my gosh, at one point a D, I, I was just beside myself. And I only had a couple of friends. I was always a little bit quirky, a little bit different. But I was, I loved the friends that I had, you know, like Emily and Belinda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, they, it was, it was fine. Um, I always hated seeing the hierarchy of groups in school. And I just thought it was so stupid. And why? It just seemed pointless. I loved the stuff that I did. I loved my friends. I loved having my grandmother as my parent. I really couldn't complain. You know, do I wish I had been more popular? Well, at the time, I thought, yeah, I want to be popular. But in retrospect, I think everything was the way it was supposed to be. I think sometimes when you don't get the attention that you you crave, you find other outlets for it. And for me, probably finding that creativity and and really delving into art was a saving grace when I was in in high school and middle school. And middle school was awful. Middle school was so awkward. But yeah, I've I've always made art and it wasn't until I was in college even though I I was majoring in art that I could finally say that I am an artist as opposed to I want to be an artist, but I've been making art since I was four. So you were always drawn to it. Did you always know that that's oh, what yeah. you were going to do? Yeah. My my first memory of wanting to be an artist, literally I was four. And um, I'll blame it on, on uh, Bugs Bunny <laughs> <laughs> because um, I, I remember watching a Bugs Bunny episode and he was being chased by that 
armless monster, that like red furry monster. Mm. And he was pretending to be an artist and, and hiding. And he had, you know, the French smock and beret on. And I remember asking my grandmother, what is he doing? What is that? And she explained to me what an artist was. I don't remember the exact words, but something happened that day because I started bugging her for paint and she got me paint, but it wasn't oil paint. (laughs) And apparently at four, for some reason, I knew about oil paint and it had to be oil paint. (laughs) And then I started asking her for more and more things in art. And eventually I was begging her. I was still four for art lessons. And, um, I, I must have really bugged her a lot. <laughs> and she didn't drive. And it, she was trying to find an, a place for me to go for art classes. And there just wasn't anything around us. And so she ended up taking me to the YMCA. And we had to take two bus transfers. And and it was an adult class. And they said, no, we, we can't take her. She's four. Are you kidding me? And I remember hearing them going back and forth. But... I, I sort of went off and I stood behind one of the adult students because it was a class going on. I didn't bother them, but I stood behind them and I mimicked every single move they did. I actually remember doing that. And my grandmother would mention it. The student was painting a flowers in this field and it would, they were just doing like these little polka dots of red. And I remember holding my hand like I was doing polka dots standing right behind them. So I've had art classes my entire life. I, my grandmother was fantastic and just indulged. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. So let's talk about your professional journey. Sure. Where did you go to school? At what point? Well, you've already answered when you knew you wanted to be an artist and whether or not you ever considered anything else. Um, Well, my grandfather wanted me to go into medicine. He was a doctor and I know I would have had a really good bedside manner, but, and it did interest me, but it just wasn't going to be, I, We did make a compromise. I went to a liberal arts school instead of a straightforward art school for undergrad. I'm glad I did because I I do feel like I have a broader education and I got a really good foundation. And the program at University of Redlands actually was really good. I did Johnston Center where you could create your own courses there, your own. I mean, there were certain things you did have to take, but If they didn't have a course, you could create it. You weren't given grades, you were given evaluations. But I always knew I was going to go to grad school, so I always made sure I had not only the evaluation, which was valuable in that um, it gave you a really good sense of exactly how you did in the course as opposed to a, a number or a letter grade. But yeah, it was really important that I also had the the straightforward grade so that it would make it easier to transfer for uh, graduate school. Uh, for graduate school, I went to, um, at the time it was called Maryland Institute College of Art. Now it's MICA. <laughs> yeah, it was a Mount Royal School of Art. And again, it was one of those programs where it was sort of loosely based. The only rule was that it had to have paint on it somewhere. So it ended up being the perfect program for me because I've always sort of straddled the line between fine art and something that's a little bit more decorative, not exactly two-dimensional. There was always a three-dimensional aspect to it. And it was always something that was a little bit harder to define. So, you know, you said mixed media, that, that is the easiest way of explaining it because I bring in a lot of different things. Yeah, it's not painting. 
It's not sculpture. It's somewhere in between. What were the key moments in your career that lifted your skill level or were a key to your success? One of the things is learning to give myself the permission to fail. There's a a, a little bit of a fear when you start working on something and to say to yourself, I'm going to try this. I don't have to show it to anybody, but I'm going to learn something out of it. I think that was a big step. When I was in graduate school, the two main professors, if one liked one something I did, the other one hated it. And then if I worked to try and do something that the other one who had hated the work loved it, the one who loved it would hate it. And it just kept doing this, this roundabout thing. And, and one day I just looked at them like, you guys are driving me crazy. <laughs> and I feel like I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, then it suddenly occurred to me, you guys are playing with me. This is about not what you think. This is about me learning my own voice. And that was just the best thing that they ever taught me. I mean, they they wouldn't say it right out until I finally figured it out. And what a huge gift. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you, you're just filled with so much doubt about what you're working on as as an artist. To be as able a to, person. To, yeah, as a person. <laughs> but, you know, and then there's this thing about, you know, the stuff that you create and then you're supposed to show it to people. It's It's a huge risk to, you know, your soul, to how you feel to present something than have the potential of everybody hating it. Well, not everybody's going to hate it. And, and even if they do, you know, search the reason why, why is it someone is hating it? I show over at Bow Gallery and every year I present a brand new series and I'll sit the, the show and often I won't tell anyone that it's my work that's up because I actually want to hear what they have to say about it. I think as hard as it might be at times to hear it, if you take in what it is they're saying and analyze it, I think it gets you to a better place. There's, there is a lot of, like art is really about problem solving. You know, you'll set yourself a, an, a parameter of you know, what it is that you want to accomplish. You have the idea in your head and now you have to somehow get it on paper or canvas or whatever your material is. For me, I think that if I try to stick too close to what's in my head and, and translate that directly, there's something that gets lost. I think it's better to do little bits and try and let it talk back to you. And the process of struggling with something, I think, actually makes for stronger work. It's a real act of vulnerability to create something and then share it. Definitely. For new artists, how do you get over that? You know, I'm sure there are plenty of artists who create and don't share it. I think it's all about exposure. You know, like I said, on the one hand, there's the rule that you have to learn about you don't have to show everything. But then on the other hand, yes, the taking the chance of showing it, if you can get outside of yourself and just say to yourself, no matter what it is they say, I'm going to learn something from it. And I think that the earlier in your career that you do that, the better. The more often you get that criticism, the more often you show and you take from it what you can to constantly change and and improve and alter. I think the better your work is going to be and and the the farther you can go. Mm -hmm. But it isn't just 
showing. There's there's so many different aspects that people don't think about when you're an artist that I mean it's it's like 20 jobs that you have to do when you're an artist if you want to actually make a living as an artist. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Talk about those 20 jobs. Let 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 us hear about it. Um if you're an artist, you're a researcher, you're um, a professional packer mm-hmm. and rapper. You're a, sh- uh, a shipper. You're a schlapper. <laughs> you're an installer. Um, you're going to be writing your own PR for a long time. It, it's just insane the amount of stuff that, that you have to do that nobody in art school talks about. You know, they're talking about your craft. They're talking about, you know, series. They're talking about, you know, just the process of making art. But they they really, it's unfortunate. I don't know if they teach it now, but you're a business. They should be teaching you how to, you know, how to take care of a business, how to approach galleries, how to get your work out there. And, and that's why I think that, like, Podcasts like this are so important. It's about giving out information to people that are interested in art, for instance, that they never even thought of. No one just comes and knocks on your door, at least certainly not in the beginning. So you have to figure out these plans. How are you going to get stuff out there? I remember when, you know, I had my kids and then I wanted to come back into art and all the doors were closed. And the way that you applied to galleries completely changed it completely. You know, I, before kids, it was, it was all about uh, sending in slides and everything was done by mail. And afterwards it was all digital. I didn't know how to do any of that. So I remember asking um, a couple of artists, friends of mine that also, you know, had kids in the same grade and, and they were pretty successful you know, well, how, how do you approach galleries now? You know, how do you do this? And, and I just was struck with this answer of, well, we don't have to do that because we, you know, we're already in a gallery. So um, it was difficult. And I kept hitting that catch 22, which is, well, where have you shown lately? Well, I can't show you because you haven't shown. Mm. Well, how am I going to show if I can't show? So, um, after really quite a bit of rejection for two years and just trying to get my foot in a door. Two years? Two years just, I know it doesn't sound like much now, but. No, it does. It sounds like. (laughs) Just um, trying to get someone to take me serious and to just, you know, give me a break. Let let me get some work up. Um, I ended up doing uh, out of the box things, just thinking out of the box. I'd met a bunch of artists online and we were just talking about different things and we ended up doing a project together that I initiated and we ended up producing um, a little art book about freedom and art and we ended up with 74 artists from 27 different countries and eventually it just seemed like perfect project to try and maybe get it paired up with maybe Amnesty International. Because again, it was just something really simple. It was artists were, I mean, they weren't making pieces for a project. It was their actual art. It was a piece that totally represented them. And it was simply 
that piece of artwork and their own personal statement about freedom, and it could be political, it could be just about the word freedom or the freedom of creating, and their website. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Amnesty International actually, in a way, picked it up. We were allowed to use their tax ID number, and it was for sale on uh, blurb.com. And so if anybody ordered it, the funds went to them, not to us. But what was nice about that project and, and getting to work with other artists, and it was like a step into curating and a little bit of directing, was just the gallery actually took notice of the work and then wanted to show the work of all the artists that were in this project. So that was actually one of my first shows for myself also. Mm-hmm. And that was in Beacon. Um, the gallery is no longer around. But Bow Gallery noticed what I had done. And it just so happened that they had an opening for an artist. And, uh, you know, that's one of the, it's a, a co-op, an artist-run gallery. And it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I get to have deadlines. I get to have a solo. It gives me the chance to experiment every single year. And I am the kind of artist that loves to experiment. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do. I know that, you know, for instance, and I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, galleries really want to know that that you have your act together. You know, you need to have really, really good photos of your work. You need to have, uh, you know, at least 10 pieces that represent a series of, you know, work that's related. They can envision what a show would look like. But if you have also been showing, it's easier for them to say, okay, I, I can give you a show. They would be ready. And then on top of that, if you can have a record of sales. So so for me, the artist-run co-op is really good because I get to present all this new work. And based on whether the work sells or not, it moves from there. I'm, I'm an artist who likes to do the same thing over and over again. Although I have very specific series that are ongoing that I will always do. If I didn't have the outlet once a year of just being able to put it aside and go, I'm just going to be completely self-indulgent and chase these ideas and and think of 20 different things and then finally narrow it down. I don't think I'd have as much as much satisfaction in my job otherwise. What is behind the gallery's reluctance to take on, I guess, their unproven artists? Well, it, it's a business. And, and having run a gallery, I know it's a very expensive business to be running. A lot of galleries, not all, but a lot of galleries are running by the skin of their teeth and just trying to make your your rent every month and pay your lights and promotion and all of the other stuff. You really need to hone in on artists that do have that sale factor in their work. Uh, Not necessarily every artist they show has a sale factor. Some of it is really about the you know, the ideas behind the work or, or they just happen to really love something that some artist is doing, but they have to have artists in their fold also that have very sellable work. If you can't sell work, you're not going to stay in business. Being able to, to um, have that proven sale record of a, of a series is really important. Who were you influenced by? Do you have any role models? Did you have a mentor? There have been a lot. The people who influence me are are more about relationships and personalities as opposed to actual artwork. 
Although there are a couple of artists. I had this one friend, Lisa Zukowski. She was a longtime bow artist. And I always admired her because she she could reinvent the wheel on the fly. And she's a master of everything. And there isn't a single thing that she's ever produced, in my opinion, that was terrible. But also on a, uh, on a professional level, on a friend level. I mean, when I f- first started showing it at Bow, I didn't know how to hang art. I didn't know how to arrange. Every single bit of that was new. And she and a couple of the other artists, you know, really held my hand through the first couple of shows uh, made me feel very comfortable and and also helped me to learn to find my own curatorial voice. I mean, there's I have no problem arranging someone else's work, but when it comes to my own, I'm way too close to the work, and I either want to shove everything in or I go, I hate everything or I love everything. So for years, Lisa would come and she would be my curator. She would help to arrange it. So, hi, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the things that she had helped me through and the, the struggles that I had trying to get back in, I always said to myself, if I ever have the ability to help someone else, I'm going to pay it forward. I don't understand when, you know, an artist refuses to help someone else. I don't understand not sharing information. To me, that I, I think there's room for so many of us. And... Um, you know, especially when you're just starting out, there's so many things that you could run into that can end up costing you a lot of money because you just don't know. Let's talk about some of the pitfalls for new or re-entering artists. There's a lot of like vanity galleries and vanity magazines. They're called that because, you know, they'll say it's just a matter of you getting discovered. So we offer these things for you and you can show, but it's a huge, huge cost. The problem with that is, and I can't name them because they, you know, they threaten to sue because <laughs> this is their business. The problem with that is the artist goes in thinking, this is going to be my break. I'm going to show in the city and it's just a matter of time. Someone's going to discover me. And then they start you know, sending out their PR to all these other galleries, like, look, I'm showing in New York. Don't you want to show me too? You know, however it is they're going to do. But they don't realize that having that actual gallery on their exhibitions list is almost an immediate, no, I'm not going to show this artist. It's a black mark because they know that you that paid to Exactly. Pay to play. And it, it's not the same as an artist-run co-op. They're two completely different things. The vanity galleries, they're all about actually making money off of the back of the artist. It's the artist they're making the money off of, not the sale of their work. How disheartening. It really is. And and there's there's magazines out there that do the same thing. And again, I'm not going to name them, but it's easy enough to find. The important thing is to f- try and find a lot of artists, become friends with artists, share the information. If you get something and it, and it looks good, ask someone about it. But you can also Google it, you know, whatever the name of the, the gallery is or the magazine plus, you know, scam. That's when I said, you know, one of, one of your jobs is researcher. It's not just searching out galleries to show in. It's researching what's coming at you. 
there actually is, and I, and I shared with you one of those letters, it's kind of like the Nigerian prince letter, but it's the art version of it. And there's always something a little strange about the language. It's not, it's English, but it's a little, there's, you're reading it. There's something just something off. a little off. Um, but it's always about, you know, my, my wife has been looking at your artwork online and, and I have, you're doing a great job. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I want, I wanted to buy her work for her, for our anniversary. There's just something a little bit off about it. And basically what happens is that what you'll find is that you'll send the artwork and the check is no good. And so you're out money. Oftentimes they'll, they'll offer to give you more money than what it's worth because you have to use their shipper. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a whole thing. But you wouldn't know that if you're just coming into this and you'd be so excited to find out, oh my gosh, someone wants to buy my work and you would just jump in. You can't do that. You have to look at every single one of these as, all right, I got to check it out. I always try to ask where they found my work. Oftentimes it seems really legit, but it's very hard. You know, it's like that IRS letter that comes in your email or in your mailbox and you're thinking, okay, well, is this really the IRS or it looks legit? So, you know, you're going to run into that with any kind of career that you're in. The reason why I mentioned this is that really, really early on in my art career, uh, I fell for one of the vanity magazines and I just didn't know. It's really hard to say what was what was worse was, you know, finding out that it wasn't worth something that I'd wasted money or just the gut punch of, wow, I sent this out to a lot of galleries and I might have hurt myself here. Just feeling like you were taken. So that's that's why I'm very vocal about it. You know, you're it, it's bad for your ego, for one thing, but that's a lot of money to lose on something that gets you n- nothing. It actually, actually hurts you. It hurts you. It, you're you're going backwards. That's why I just keep emphasizing that, you know, if you're just coming into art, you really need to create a network that you're in. Being able to share information. And then, you you know, you don't feel so alone. It's you realize you're kind of in it all together. What is your favorite part of your career? What do you love the most? What fills you up? Oh, gosh, it's it's dual. <laughs> to me, there's nothing like that studio time when I'm working on something and I get totally lost in the piece. There's no concept of time. And I don't actually sometimes remember making a piece like I'll get to the end of it at the end of the day and look up and go, wow, it's dark. <laughs> and maybe I had started in the afternoon, but it's suddenly dark outside. And and then I turn and I look at the piece and that moment of satisfaction that, yeah, it's done. That piece is done. And then realizing, wow, I, I did that. And it's probably Zen. It, it's just sort of being outside of yourself and when and and at the same time totally inside of your head. I'm flying. I'm just going, and that there is nothing in the world like that. Of just being and not being is kind of how I can explain it. The other thing that's really a, f- a favorite of mine is when I'm seeing somebody look at a piece that I created 
and it's moved them enough that they need to have it. Or even if they don't need to have it, that they're, they just, they don't want to move on. That's a beautiful feeling that somebody is appreciating something so much that they're completely concentrated on it. And it's a really good feeling. I wish everyone could have that feeling somehow, some way. I don't know if a bookkeeper ever gets to have that feeling or, but someone who's in the, in any kind of creative field, that's sort of the payoff. It's not a paycheck. It's the appreciation of something. It's the emotion that it pulls out of someone. I don't know. I I, I feed on that. (laughs) Is there anything that surprised you about being an artist or any misconceptions? Oh, well, yeah. The biggest misconception out there is, oh, you're just, you know, poking your fingers in paint and playing around. Oh, you know, when you hear someone say, oh, you're an artist. Oh, you must have so much fun. I do have fun, but it's a hard job. It's physical. I have like injuries and pain and and stuff just from the stuff that I do. I have this chiropractor who's amazing. If I didn't go to see her often, I probably would have chopped my pinky off (laughs) because without her help, it, it hurts so much that I'm like, I don't know if I'm able to keep drawing but she keeps me in good working order. It's a physically taxing job. The other thing is that when you go into art, you don't realize that your whole family is actually going to be involved (laughs) because if they're not supporting you in one way, they're supporting you in another. And I'm not talking about just financial because often in the beginning, yes, financially they're helping you out, but I don't like driving. And so if I have to drive far, I'm It was always my husband that was helping out or a friend. Now my kids will drive. (laughs) Uh, I've gotten a little bit better about driving, but, and then the hauling of the work. All right. So we're, we're moving currently, but my studio was on the third floor of an old, beautiful rambling Victorian, which I loved. And I loved being up in that space. But every time I'd have a show, (laughs) it's like, okay, It's not just one or two pieces. It's a whole show that would have to go down three flights and then out the front door and down another flight and packed and in the car. And that's fine because, you know, there's the excitement of the show. But, oh, man, having to bring it back and then hauling it back up. And you just like my head goes down every time I look at the bottom of the stairs. going. I have to go all the way up there with this next load. And yeah, so your family gets involved, you know, willingly, but not happy about it. <laughs> uh, my Yeah, my sculptures kind of killed my husband's shoulder at this point. And um, I seem to try to break him. <laughs> it gets worse and worse with every show. So I, I promised him I'd start working a little bit smaller. <laughs> Any aspects of it that you would like to change? I think that a lot of older artists are getting discounted. What does that mean? It's always been like, if you haven't made it by the time you're 36 or whatever, you're done, which is so silly. You know, I don't think it matters whether you're a young artist, a middle-aged artist, an old artist. Art is art. And it's either good or it's not. And I just, just like in the music industry as well, stop looking at the person with their physical ages, what they look like. It's about what they can do. 
I mean, often uh, a lot of people turn to making art, like I said, because they're lacking in something else. Some of us end up becoming artists. Uh, most of the artists I know had some sort of trauma or they were ignored or they weren't popular. That's not to say that's with everybody, but mm-hmm. a lot of us ended up in the arts because it seemed to be this thing that we were able to do that we were able to get attention with. So yeah, that's the thing I would change is that just look at the work. Now, is that a, a new convention in terms of looking at the, the age? Because no, like Georgia I think it's O'Keefe, always, for example, she continued to create and was celebrated to, for her art. It seems to be one of those things where if you can live long enough... <laughs> Then you get a you get another look. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But there's a, a lot of people who don't really get discovered until they're much, 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 much older. Tell us about any major obstacles you've had to overcome. Well, you know, I was talking about reemerging. It, it was very, very difficult coming back into art and just trying to get in, get into anything. Other other major obstacles back in. 2015, I had a massive heart attack. And it took over two years to recover enough just to be able to go up to the third floor without having to stop in the middle. It didn't stop me from making art, but it really, it made me for the first time ever say, well, do I want to do that show or not? Can I handle doing that or not? Oftentimes I still would do it. I'd find a way. I think obstacles are good. That's when you realize how much you want something. When someone says no, or your body says no, you're like, but I really love it so much that that no, I'm going to find a way around it. I'm, I'm not going to take it. I mean, it might be a gallery that, yeah, you're not going to show there. That, that no is a no. But can you find something realistic? Can you find something that will satisfy something that you can get into. There was a, an art gallery, a director just became friends with her and the things that she said, you know, she was like, well, tell me what your goals are. My goals were pretty straightforward, but they weren't pie in the sky. I had like little, little steps, things that were what I thought realistic. And she's like, that is rare to see. And She's like, you know, you'll you'll do fine. Because they weren't pie in the sky. They weren't because pie you in the weren't... sky. They weren't things that weren't achievable. They uh, oftentimes, like I'll, I, I have a, a journal that I just have like, you know, things that need to be done in the next day, the next week. But I also do next month, six months, a year, five years. I have goals, but I, I just, I break them down into little bits and pieces so that it can be achieved. And then I just sit there and think like, how can I get from here to here? Who do I need to reach out to? What kind of PR can I write for that? What kind of, how, how can I do it? And it's, it's basically relationships. I just think that as an artist, if you're in your studio by yourself and you're not reaching out and you're not creating a network, it's going to be really difficult. I'm not going to say that you'll never show, but it's difficult. You do need to create a network. The thing about being an artist for this many years and having directed 
most shows happen because someone has recommended you or someone worked with you before and and liked working with you and sees an opportunity and says, hey, you know, you should try out for this. That to me has been the best thing that's ever happened. I give out as much as I can, and but I can't sit here and, th- and, and assume I'm going to get back. I don't send stuff out trying to get stuff back, but it happens. And I just think it's really nice when things go round and round. Like I said, I just, I just have never understood the whole competition thing and keeping stuff only to yourself. I just think the world is a bigger place and a better place when you reach out. Where did you learn your kind of exacting goal setting skills? That feels like a rarity to me in... I didn't um, know. And it just came, it just is me. Um, So there's like a really organized part of you. Yeah. Which is kind of counter to what most people's perception of an artist is usually. Yeah, because if you looked at the inside of my car (laughs) or the inside of my house, you'd be like, chaos. (laughs) But, (laughs) But in my head, things are... Yeah, it's 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 pretty organized in there. I mean, I'm I might miss an appointment here or there, but the part about knowing what I need to do next, it's more about logic. It's not a skill that someone taught me. It's about sitting there and really trying to figure out, all right, here's the whole big thing, but logically how do I get to that? And like I said, it's just breaking it down. You know, like I said, I I didn't know how to curate before. Okay, logically found someone who, well, it just happened that she volunteered to uh, to help me out. But I'd curated a show before that when I first came back into art. So I, I mentioned I went to University of Redlands and I had noticed that their, I want to say 75th or their 100th anniversary, oh no, their centennial was coming up. And I thought, oh, maybe they're doing a centennial show. So I reached out to my professor, Penny McElroy, and she said, no, there isn't, but boy, that'd be a really good idea. Do you want to curate it? And my initial reaction was, I'm not a curator. I don't know how to curate. But thankfully, I said, yeah, how do I do it? And she's like, well, <laughs> I don't know. You just got to find the artist. And it turned out that there was, the school didn't really keep a detailed record of art major graduates. So I ended up having to contact a couple of artists that I knew. They gave me other names. And so that's why I said, again, research. (laughs) So I ended up finding 50 artists, and it spanned eight decades. We had artists, living artists, covered for that show. And, you know, and the fact that it was at a university was a great place to do that because I made mistakes in my that first curation, but it's a very forgiving place. You know, you're meant to learn at a university. And so I came out of that with a whole lot more confidence in myself, but also in knowing that I could, wow, this really is about logic and just breaking things down. And instead of saying, I don't know how to do it, so I can't do it, figure it out, ask questions, and, and just try and think, well, how, again, logically, how would I get to this? How do I find that? But that opened up a lot of doors. I ended up making friends with most of the artists that showed. And there's a few I've stayed in contact with, and we exchanged information. And it's not just local. The nice thing about the the arts is that your network 
literally can be worldwide. It's just with the internet being able to reach out to people all over the world. It's amazing. I have friends that are in Russia. I have a friend that's in Lebanon. I have a lot of friends that are in Germany. In fact, I get to show fairly often in Berlin and in other places in Germany because of this network of artist friends and we reciprocate and they show here and none of that would happen if if you didn't reach out and create a relationship. That all started because of that that one book that I did. Those are lifelong friends, some of them. Proudest moments, biggest disappointments. Well, I think probably one of the proudest moments was, you know, there's this whole thing about first floor galleries in Chelsea. And for years, I I said, someday, someday I'm going to show in a first floor gallery in Chelsea. And it almost didn't happen. There was a brand new series I was working on. And I ended up getting this call. I have to start out with, (laughs) I had this practice where for three years straight, I found a gallery a day. That's like researching it top to bottom. And what kind of artists do they show? What level is the artist that they're showing? Is it a realistic grab? If I put my artwork on their page along with all the other artists that they're showing, does it look like it fits in? And then the other thing is you have to know whether they um, accept solicitations or not. I mean, if a website says we do not accept artist submissions, unsolicited artist submissions, don't, don't submit. You're going to just piss them off. Anyway, so I, I made a point for three years straight. I found at least one gallery a day. If I was going to be off on vacation, well, then I did, you know, seven or, you know, 14 before I left. But religiously, I did this and I did get shows out of it. So, yeah, after years and years and years, and we're talking like 10 years of trying to show in a first floor gallery, one of the solicitations I had sent out, one of the submissions I'd sent out actually got a response from Tria Gallery. And they said, well, we'd like to have you come and bring some of your work in. And I did. And they looked at it. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. And then I pulled out this one piece that was like just sort of this idea that I'd had. And it actually had a Swedish fish embedded in resin in it. And they ended up loving that. And I hadn't had I hadn't done more than just this one piece. And they said, oh, well, we could. Well, and what else do you have? And I, and I said, oh, well, I'm working on pieces <laughs> that have all these different toys from my childhood in it. And they said, well, we love it. All right. We we're going to put you in a show. <laughs> and I remember sitting in my car afterwards, like crying because I was like, it's a first floor gallery in Chelsea. And oh, my gosh, I have so much work I have to do. How did I pull that off? And then um, the biggest disappointment was I went to call uh, my husband and my friends and no one picked up. (laughs) (laughs) They were they were all busy doing whatever they were doing. I was like, yeah, I can't wait to to tell them it. And so I cried again because nobody picked up. Um, And then um, uh, getting to actually, you know, because they had the little kiosk on the outside of the gallery that had the poster So going there just before the opening and seeing, you know, a poster that had my work in it in that kiosk was like, wow, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. 
and the show went well and I sold work. It was just great. Unfortunately, the galleries closed since then, but um, that was wonderful. And there have been other ones, but that was like the first really big one, that first really big goal. It was a result of your methodical yes. efforts over 10 years yes. to finally arrive at that. Yeah, wow. absolutely. I don't know a lot of artists who try to submit once a day for three years, but I wanted it. I wanted it so much. I think having put my art career aside for almost 10 years because I was raising kids and it was, a, and I did that myself. I, I really wanted to be there for them. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to start over again. I just thought I would, you know, start making art again. I didn't realize literally everything I had done before really didn't matter anymore. There, there seems to be this thing. It's like, you know, so what have you done lately? Where have you shown lately? And if you haven't really shown in two or three years, it gets harder. Well, it had been nine. So. Is that because they consider you a retired artist or something along I those lines? I think it has to do really with sales records and uh, making sure that you're ready. And, you know, just like I said before, you have to remember, and, and artists get really mad at galleries, but there's only so much room in every gallery. They can only show so many artists in any one gallery. So you think about, you know, most galleries will show um, six to 10 times a year. And how many artists can you fit in that show? So there's a lot of artists they have to say no to. And there's a lot of easy reasons for saying no. It is a difficult decision. So I, w I, I would hope that artists would stop getting mad at galleries. They are running a business and they can't show everybody. Just because they say no doesn't mean that your work is bad. It just means that for what they need to do, it's, it's not fitting, even if your artwork is perfect for it. But don't give up. I mean, I used to keep meticulous notes about who I submitted to, and I would never submit more than once a year. And I always made sure that I started a lot of submissions in January, it seems like, at least for the East Coast, that's when they start doing their, their lineups for the year. I, I think coming back into it, it was like I came back into it with a vengeance. I always felt like I had nine years I had to make up for. So, so I kind of lived on the computer between doing all the stuff for the kids at that point and probably didn't need to quite do that much, but it was, it was coming back into art with a vengeance. We were just talking about how there's a lot of rejection being told, no, no, thank you. How do you learn not to take that personally so that it doesn't Oh boy, I used to take you. it so personally. In fact, the first, like most galleries won't even reply back, but the first reply back that was a no, I saved it. I was so mad. I'm going to show you. I, I read it now and it's like, boy, that was a really polite one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of rejection and you better get over it. And, and just remember, it's a business. And again, just because they say no doesn't mean that your work is terrible. But listen to what they're saying. I mean, sometimes they'll actually give you a little nugget of something. Take it in. Break it down. What can you do to make yourself present better? And then always keep notes about uh, the submission that you get a response from. Was it? There must have been something about the submission that made them respond. 
you know, positive or negative, and then keep refining it, keep refining your submission until it becomes this really strong submission. Maybe try and look at examples of what other people have submitted. I can't even tell you how many times I've rewritten my bio and my statement. It's countless times. All It, it almost feels like every single time I submit something or I get into a show, there's some little tweak that I have to do. And I just remember being a horrific writer. And now like half the things I do, it's PR. And it's not just for me because well, currently I, I write the PR for Bow Gallery. And so I, I'm constantly taking in what other artists have written and I have to change it and make it work. I can write now. I write good. <laughs> I write goodly. <laughs> Knowing what you know now, is there anything you'd do differently? Yes. Uh, when my kids were little, I wouldn't have stopped completely. And I do tell that to a lot of artists, male and female, but mostly female. Look, if you're going to have kids, don't completely stop. Slow down, do what you need to do, but don't completely stop. It is way too hard to start again. And if, if I had been a person that, that didn't try as hard as I did, because there were no, numerous times I thought, you know, why do I keep doing this to myself? This is really hard. It's breaking my heart. It would have been really easy to let it break me. And just say, well, I'll paint for myself. And that's that. But I look at it like this. I invested in school because this is what I wanted to do. So I don't want to waste what my plans were. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do it. So if life is, you know, it's really hard when you have babies. But if you could eke out an hour, even every couple of days, to just work on something for yourself so you're still making work. And then maybe try once every year or two to get into something. That's definitely what I would have told myself back then. Just don't completely stop. Any advice for someone wanting to pursue a similar path? You better love it. <laughs> I think passion gets you really far in whatever it is that you decide you're going to do in life, no matter what job. If you end up doing something that you're passionate about, it will keep you going through the parts of it that you can't stand. Like I got to say, I cannot stand wrapping my artwork. Can't stand it. And moving it and, and shipping is just a little bit less hateful <laughs> than wrapping it. I can't, I just, but you do it. I, I'd love to get to the point where I can just have an assistant go, go wrap. And, and maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't, but being able to to show in a gallery and have people see the work and having the privilege of being able to totally and fully work on my art and it's me and I get to choose the times and it makes up for all of that other stuff that I'm not crazy about doing. Is there anything that you've always wanted to do or achieve that you haven't yet? Yes. I'm getting ready in the next year to start applying for artist in residency programs. Up until now, I I wasn't because I wanted to be home. But my my youngest, I literally just dropped her off at college two days ago. Oh, anyway, thank goodness I can still see her face, and we we're all, we've already talked a couple of times. 
but I, yeah, I'm looking at it now with, you know, we're, we're downsizing and houses and, you know, making things less expensive just to live. So it's opening up pretty soon these opportunities to apply for artist residency programs, which are great because it's all about making art in a specific place, you know, 24 seven. It's, it's about you and the time and leisure to create. Sometimes you have to pay for them. Sometimes they pay you, you know, you, you're paying to get there, but they're giving you a space to work. But I think they're really great opportunities for really concentrated work in a place other than your own studio. And so I'm really, really excited about future projects, but I have to apply. (laughs) There's no promise I'll get into any of them, but yeah, sometimes the locations are just amazing. There was, there was one that's on this Island that has no cars and it's just a lighthouse and these studios. I'm like, yeah, I'm there. Anything has to do with water. I'm there. (laughs) So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Anything that we didn't touch upon? Anything that I didn't ask that you wish I would have? I hope that anyone who's going into art, it's it's difficult. And money-wise, it's also probably going to be difficult. But I think that if you have a passion for it, it's really about a matter of adjusting how you live in order to afford to do it. And then doing the homework to get the work out there. I mean, for me, it it took about six or seven years before I started selling and being able to figure out what my market is and aiming it towards that has been really good. And it's, it's just really nice that everything seems to be at the right pace. And just as I finish a commission or just as I finish a show, something else comes along because sometimes it's been really frantic. Oh, yeah. the <laughs> I forgot. All right. So if you're an artist and you have a show, um, you don't have a nine to five job. Your deadline is when your deadline is. So, yes, be prepared to work until three and four o'clock in the morning to get something done. Coffee is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for anything. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thanks for listening. To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, professionalconfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.